Hi friends, welcome to another edition of the Christ is All podcast. I have some exciting news to share with you. My new book, Hang On, Let Go, What to Do When Your Dreams Are Shattered and Life is Falling Apart, is now available. The book also has a supplemental course for those who are going through an extreme trial and they want additional help and encouragement. The course is called Surviving Your Storm. To get the book and to check out the course, just go to hangonletgo, all one word, hangonletgo.com, and you will see all of it there. This is the very first interview that I have done on the book discussing its content, and I hope you find it encouraging. Many of the things that I will share here in the interview is not contained in the book, but it will give you a flavor of what's in it. Enjoy. This new book that you have, Hang On, Let Go. What are you tackling? I, I don't have a I don't have a copy of it. I I don't know if I'm worthy yeah. of it or not. Do you want to? <laughs> You're going through a trial. You are, sir. Yes. <laughs> worthy. So, <laughs> so Hang On, Let Go. Uh, can Can you share a little bit with us about this book? Yeah, absolutely. It's about any kind of crisis, any kind of trial, any kind of struggle that you as a Christian are enduring or that you've been thrown into. And it's a deep dive into the anatomy of a trial from God's perspective. And the book, it's really like a field guide to teach you how to survive your storm and how to thrive through it. And it goes into specifics on how to conduct yourself in a health crisis, a financial crisis, or a relational crisis. Those are the big three <laughs> that we face as Christians, and those usually always lead to a spiritual crisis. In John 16, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble, but suck it up. Uh, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. In me, you may have peace. Notice that the Lord said, in this world, you will have trouble. Peter said, don't think it's strange when you're thrown into fiery trials because they're designed to test you, test your faith, and also grow your character. And I like to say those verses, you know, that talk about count it all joy when you go through fiery trials. <laughs> I say, put that in your gratitude list and smoke it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not something we want to hear. But as God's people, we were destined for bitter trials. Trouble and hard times are part of the journey for the Christian. All of us are going to go through times where the sky is falling, our world is caving in, and we find ourselves in deep yogurt. But trials and tribulations are God's mechanism for demonstrating to us his power and for transforming us into version 2.0. And one of the things I've learned, well, I've learned many things about a trial, and I talk about all of it in the book, the discoveries I've made, but God is the great teacher in the universe, and he never fails his students. <laughs> I used to be a teacher in high school many, many years ago, and uh, I would have to fail my students, but God never fails his students. What he does 
is he just makes us take the test over and over and over again Ouch. until we end up passing. Yes. The book is full of insights on how to how to endure the trial, how to see it, how to how to perceive it, uh, how to make sense of it, and then how to thrive through it, you know, which is really the goal here. I, I love that. I love that you were honest about the, the quote in James of counted all joy when you face these trials and tribulations, because that is... In my, I mean, if I were to look at that just in its, its, you know, without the biblical context, with without being spiritual, when I read it, I would say that's the worst advice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but I, 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 I love what you're saying that yeah, it, Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Uh, I mean, I spend most, I, I, I've lived in China for the last twenty years, and I spend a lot of my time together with the person persecuted church. I was just two weeks ago together with our uh, Chinese missionaries that have been serving in Iraq and Lebanon and, and Syria and Jordan and brought them together. And the way that they talked about their trials and tribulations with not despair, but but hope and the way that they they shared about, you know, this this is a part of the process. This is what the Bible has promised. And we know that we're on the right trail. Uh, really humbled me because I mean I get upset if I can't find the remote control. I get I I, I freak out you know if I feel that somebody's misplaced my keys. Um, so I, I I feel like I'm challenged by the smallest of of problems. Uh, do you, when when you're writing this book, especially for the Western audience, uh, do you feel that um, the audience in the West that that uh, the trials uh, that we face on a regular basis are similar to the first century church, less so, um, or are they on a different plane, but because all trials are equal in some way? I mean, I don't know if I'm making any sense with this. My book really is pinpointing a trial of any sort where you feel like the sky has fallen and your life is falling apart. So that could be, you know, you have a loved one in a coma or you have uh, a child who's hooked on drugs or maybe has run away from home and you can't contact them. Or maybe it's a, a person whose husband has said, hey, look, uh, I need space. I want to separate. Or a wife who says, you know, um, I'm in love with another man. <laughs> or it could be, you know, a fiance who has said, I'm ending the relationship and you've been invested for five years and now your whole world is collapsed. Or maybe it's a health crisis. You know, either you have been given a, a devastating diagnosis or a loved one has been told that, you know, you've got stage four cancer or whatever, or you've, you've gone bankrupt or you've lost your job that you've had for many years. And, and now you're really having a struggle finding employment and meeting uh, the needs of your family. So in that sense, Eugene, uh, as Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Those kind of things are common to everyone. The ones I mentioned, and there's so many more, when it comes to persecution, though, for being a Christian, in the West, it's pretty easy. The only real bad form of persecution we get here, leaders especially, is it's not the sword like they faced in the first century and in other countries. It's the keyboard, meaning that the keyboard has been weaponized in the hands of uh, many people who hate other believers. And usually it's coming from professing Christians, Eugene. It's not coming from the world. I mean, the world, in my experience, the world uh, in the West is pretty much, they just shrug their shoulders and, and move on. 
when it comes to uh, facing a Christian who really is following Jesus. The attacks mostly come from religious people, fellow Christians. Let me just say this to every listener, Eugene. I'll say it to you, too. You are either headed for a trial, a really severe one, beyond, you know, not being able to find the remote or losing your keys. Those are the kind of the everyday frustrations that we face as humans. But I'm talking about where the sky's falling in. You're either headed into one, you're in one right now, right? And you're really struggling and you're really hurting, or you just came out of one, okay? <laughs> There's no exemption, all right? Storms are part of life. And they're part of the Christian life. And one of the things that I like to talk about is maybe the difference between being a victim and a student uh, and also some of the temptations that uh, every Christian will face while they're in a storm. Well, I mean, I think that that is pretty relevant right now. Uh, there, I mean, many of us, I, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, whenever I have face trials uh and 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 even in my my little trials of not finding my my keys or my wallet i'm often the victim i make myself the victim who took who took my keys uh but i i mean you are talking about some very serious trials that people are going through i mean you just yeah. mentioned a few uh whether it be you know someone coming you know discovering that they have cancer or finding out the person that they love and they've invested in most of their life now is in love with someone else or, uh, I mean, you you named a, a smorgasbord of challenges. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that for us? Like, what what makes us victims or students? What 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 can we do yes. to become students and not victims? How do we know if we're victims mm -hmm. and, and not students, or students and not victims? Yes, no, that's great. It's a key insight to understand the difference. And one of the things that I do in the book is try to give the reader perspective on what's really happening in their trial and what God is aiming at, because he's always aiming at some specific things through our trial. But if we don't understand that perpetual victimhood, which is very, very common in the West, will doom us to a life of self-centered misery, then basically we're going to waste our crisis, all right? And, and this is one of the great ditches that lies in front of us when we go through a storm, and that is we have the ability to waste a crisis. God is looking to do something in us and in others through our storm, through our crisis, through our trial, and we can waste that. Here are the differences between a victim and a student. A victim learns nothing from his or her trials. So they're basically a waste. Mm. A student, however, not only learns from the trial, but after it is passed, they actually can thank God for it. It may take a while for them to thank God for it, but they can look back and say, you know what, even though I was walking through the northeast corner of hell during those days, I can now thank God for it. That's a student. A victim believes that bitter trials are a sign that God is punishing him. A student understands that God allows trials to grow us and demonstrate his power. A victim perpetually complains. A student is too busy making the best of the situation to complain. A victim pities himself. He has pity parties, you know, he feels sorry for himself, but a student focuses on helping other people even during his trial, so he has no time to feel sorry for himself. A victim begs God to remove the trouble so he can be happy. A student understands that his contentment and well-being is found in the Lord, 
not in a trouble-free life. A victim asks, why me? A student says, what can I learn from this? A victim blames other people. A student says, how much of this did I bring on myself? A victim cries out that life's not fair. A student says, what's happening to me has happened to others and is happening to others. I'm not unique. And a victim blames God while a student understands that God is sovereign and intends to use all of our trials, tribulations, and troubles for our benefit and for his glory. Romans 8.28 has not been removed from the Bible. <laughs> he can and he intends to work that horrible, hellish thing to his glory and for our good. But there's certain things we have to know in order for that to happen. And that's why I wrote, hang on, let go of the book. I have, I mean, I don't know, maybe this, this gets even better, but right now that's going to be a nugget that I take away from this podcast, this idea of wasting our crisis. I don't think I've ever really heard that phrase in a positive or I guess in a, in a teaching like you just shared. Um, usually when I hear about, you know, wasting a crisis, it's, it's kind of in a political sense, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and and right. it's used as a derogatory term, you know, that somebody is is trying to take advantage of a bad situation uh, for political gain. And what you just did was kind of re redefine that phrase for me, uh, especially as a Christian going through trials. I learned the principle of hanging on and letting go. And, and I don't want to kind of give the store away on that because that's really what the book is. But. The way to get through your trial, the way to survive it, and the way to thrive in it, and to accomplish what God is intending to accomplish in your life so you don't waste the crisis, all right, is to learn how to hang on on the one hand and let go on the other. That was the big lesson, and so that can be broken up into many, many different things. But here's one tip I want to give to everybody listening to this. If you're going through a trial right now or you're about to, and sometimes these things just blindside us, Eugene. You know, they come out of nowhere, right? It's like being struck with lightning. You didn't expect it. Uh, it's like the storm that the disciples were in, in the Gospels that said, and suddenly a <laughs> great storm <laughs> hit their boat, you know, and next thing they know, they think they're going to die. And there's so many principles, and we can talk at length about so much. But here's one thing I want to say. When you're going through the worst trials of your life, that is when God is most silent, mm. but he speaks loudly. Now, how does he speak loudly? When you're going for trial, if you would put your nose into the scriptures like you never have before, and you start reading very carefully and with an open heart to God out of desperation, saying, Lord, open your word to me, you will see things in the scriptures that you've never seen before. He speaks loudly through his word, even though he's silent, all right? And my book is so packed with scripture, dealing with trials of all kinds, that I think that in itself is worth the price of admission. It's just packed full of scriptures dealing with trials that we go through. The second way he speaks loudly, Eugene, is through other people. God will speak to us through other people, members of the body of Christ mostly, but even unbelievers, and they won't even realize that God is speaking to us through them. That's the uncanny thing. The key there, though, is to pay attention. Pay attention. 
Because when you're going through a trial, a lot of the bushes are burning. You just have to pay attention to see them. The third way God speaks loudly, and this is one of the things I discovered over the last several years, is through coincidence. You know, for the Christian, there's no such thing as coincidence. One person said, coincidence is God's way of earning anonymous. If you pay attention, right, and you, you don't walk through life oblivious, you will see coincidence after coincidence pile up. In the book of Job, it says God speaks once. No, he speaks twice. Coincidence has his fingerprints on them, and he will speak to you through coincidence quite loudly if you pay attention through your crisis. And the fourth way he speaks loudly, Eugene, is through dates. Dates, okay? I'm going to give one example. All right, today is June 30th, okay? June 30th. Now, it's no accident that this is June 30th, and I don't know how this happened. I think you gave us the date or something. I just realized this this morning. I told my wife it's June 30th. Well, June 30th, some years back, marked the first day of the worst storm I ever lived through. It was June 30th. And here we're talking about this book and trials on June 30th. That's no accident. It kind of reminds me, I'll just throw this in here real quick and then I'll, I'll let you share here. I've been speaking a long time. You know, when Peter denied Jesus, the book of John tells us that he was at a fire with coals on it, warming his hands, okay? And then when Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is on the shore and Peter's out there in a boat we learn that Jesus is cooking fish on a charcoal fire. Now, the Greek word for charcoal fire is only used twice in the Bible. Only twice. It's used when Peter denied Jesus. He's warming his hands at the charcoal fire. And when Jesus in his resurrected state is cooking fish in a charcoal fire, and he calls Peter to him. Well, there's a message there. God doesn't speak once. He speaks twice. The message was, Peter, I'm reminding you of your great failure. Remember the last time you smelled the charcoal fire? Well, you failed me. You denied me. It was your greatest failure that you ever lived through. Well, guess what? Here, I'm making fish on a charcoal fire. I want you to smell it. I want you to see the fire because now I'm going to recommission you for the apostolic ministry. Peter, feed my sheep. And so the scent of failure has now become the smell of restoration. Mm. And God used that twice as a reminder. And that's what he does with coincidences. And that's what he does with dates. He speaks loudly through those things when you're going through the worst storm. You know this. What what you have what you have just shared. This is really powerful. Uh, and, and again, it's. I don't believe it's a coincidence. I mean, one of the things that I really love to do is is try to do a regular reading. I won't say daily reading because it's not daily, but it is a regular reading of one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of F. W. Borum. And one of the one of the uh, essays that I'm reading at the moment uh, is called "The Whisper of God." And when you were talking about, you know, God speaking through His Scripture, God speaking through dates, God speaking through friends, even even if they don't know that it's that it, that God is using them, reminds me of that the 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 quote of F. W. Borum saying that God, with all of His omnipotence. At his disposal, never wastes anything. He never sends a flood if a shower will do. He never sends a fortune 
if a shilling will do. He never sends an army if a man will do. He never sends thunders if a whisper will do. That, that whole idea of God speaking into our lives during times of our, of, uh, of our trial, even when we believe that he is silent. I, I, I think that what you just shared is extremely powerful because there are times that uh, we feel that God is silent and, um, and, and it really can mess with us when we already feel, you know, during our times of trials, at least for me, when, when I'm going through a financial problem or an emotional problem or a health problem, I can already feel isolated and alone and, 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 and away from, you know, uh, anybody's understanding. And then that's the time I really want to hear from God the most. So if you feel that he's silent, that can add an even larger challenge yeah. to your to your mental, spiritual, emotional health. Absolutely. And I think that's part of it's part of the, the trial itself that God seems distant. You know, remember when the disciples were in the first storm that's recorded in the Gospels, Jesus was asleep in the boat, you know, and they had to wake him up. And that's exactly what we feel like when we're going through the worst storms of life. But we forget he is in the boat. So <laughs> the boat's not going to sink with Jesus in it, but he is asleep. <laughs> and that's exactly what we experience in a trial. The second storm that the disciples were in, recorded by the Gospels, Jesus wasn't anywhere to be seen. They were out in the boat by themselves. He was off somewhere retreating. And he waited hours and hours and hours for them to uh, move into the fourth watch, the darkest, blackest time of the day. They were all by themselves. They were out there in the storm for a long time. And then finally he shows up and he's walking on the water. And there's so much there that I get into, but he made the very cause of their fear and panic. He turned it into a sidewalk and he was walking on the very thing they were afraid of. And it's interesting too, because when they looked and they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. And I never really understood that, Eugene. Like, well, okay, what are they, superstitious people? Well, not really, because the mariners at that time believed that just before you died, you would behold a ghost. So they believed that they were looking death straight in the face. And then when he said, be not afraid, it is I, mm. that changed everything. And that's mm. what he says to you and me in the trial. Be not afraid. It is I. I'm behind this thing, all right? Meaning, I know what's going on. It didn't catch me off guard. I may seem to be on the other side of the shore. You may not be able to see me right now, or I'm asleep in the boat, but I'm here. I know what's going on. Mm. And I'm going to use this for my glory and for your benefit if you just hang on to me but there's certain things we have to let go of. <laughs> and that's, that brings us to the title of the book, Hang On, Let Go. Hang On, Let Go. That's, I, that's such a great illustration. Um, I've actually never thought of that, those two times of the disciples being in the storm and comparing those two together. Um, I, I know that we have taken more of your time than we had agreed in, in the beginning. And so I'm, I'm very, very thankful that you have stayed on and shared with us so much. Um, one last thing I would love to ask, uh, share where you found yourself being more of a victim than a student or, or are you always a good student? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I've repressed all the times that I've been a victim. So those don't even register in the memory. Uh, no, I'm certainly, especially when this trial starts, I think there's a point in time where, yeah, I become a professional victim, particularly in the sense of not so much the blame game, but the, um, the pity parties, you know what I mean? Yes. And I think if you're really going through something really, really bad, it's okay to take a little bit of time, maybe a day or two, to just have your own little pity party, but then you got to get yourself up and you have to walk forward. So what I try to do is I try to address the principles that will actually benefit every person going through any kind of trial. They can go ahead and apply it to their own specific trial. And I do give mm. illustrations of certain trials that people go through, you know, mm. and hoping that somebody will look and go, oh, boom, that's me. That's what I'm going through right now. Eugene, we also have a course that goes with the book. Hangonletgo.com is the name of the, the website that people can go to. They can get the book there, but there's also a course called Surviving Your Storm. And if you really are catching it right now, or you know someone who is, I'd not only recommend the book, but sometimes we need something a little extra, maybe the human voice to kind of encourage us through. I have a partner, and so we talk about how you can navigate your storm in that course. So that's something that some people may may be interested in. But I, I hope God's people will get this book, Hang On, Let Go, will read it and will benefit. I never dreamed that, that this book would be manifested. It was the kind of thing I was, most of it's come out of my own journals, you know what I mean? Things that I was writing to myself. And uh, and then it came that the publisher was interested, and I said, all right, well, let me turn this around and write to God's people. So that was really the origin uh, of how the book came about, just everything I've learned through everything I've been through in my life. I, I mean, I can't wait for the release, Hang On, Let Go by Frank Viola. Uh, you had given some websites. Uh, if you could just reiterate those again, like if somebody wants to buy this book, Hang On, Let Go, or purchase the course, Surviving Your Storm, uh, what's the best website that they can go to for that? The key website is hangonletgo.com, just one word, hangonletgo.com. And then also they can go to my uh, blog, frankviola.org, and they can get my blog articles, all the books in the catalog, podcast episodes, free eBooks. There's just a whole lot of stuff on that website. It's kind of home base for all of my work. And, you know, I just want to encourage God's people, uh, challenge God's people, bless God's people, and just give them such a view of the Lord Jesus Christ that they're just blown away in their heart and their mind. That's really my goal. I just, I think the most incredible person who's ever lived is Christ, and there's so much to him that we can never exhaust him. And so I'm always wanting to learn more about him, who he is, how to know him deeper and better, and, and that's what I try to pass on to others. What I've learned, I give to other people for their benefit. Love it. What makes up a good trial? Here are just some of the things I've learned, and I say so much more about this in the book, but I'll just reduce it down to a number of points, okay? Number one, trials are the common lot of every Christian. Nobody is exempt, all right? Storms affect us all. So it's true. If we're breathing oxygen, we're going to go through a trial, all right? Number two, your particular trial does not matter as much as how you respond to it. Hmm. And that's a revolutionary thought. You know, God is a lot more interested in how I respond to my trials and how you respond to your trials than the trial itself. 
And in the book, I talk a lot about the difference between responding and reacting. And this is something that's come out of my own experience because I was very reactionary through the years. And the Lord taught me the difference between response and reaction. What was that, that New Jersey, New York, Italian backgrounds? (laughs) There you go. Sure. He's also using the trials to prepare us for our calling. He's preparing others around us who observe us go through trials. He's preparing them for their callings. And so the Lord is doing a lot of things in a trial, much of which we don't really understand at first glance or we don't see. This is was the case with Joseph. I mean, Joseph's trials, they didn't seem to make any sense until God used them to basically bring his people through a situation where they would have been impoverished, but he caused them to survive. And not only that, but it was the way that he was able to bring the Messiah into the world. So, you know, there's lots of layers to what God is doing in a trial, and uh, so often we're not in touch with it. I love Job 23.10. It says, He knows the way I have taken, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And so, if you're in a trial right now, and you're going through the university of adversity, know that if you respond the way the Lord wants you to, and again, I get into this in the book in great detail, there's gold ahead. There's transformation ahead. Wow. A better you, a more expansive you, a better vessel for the Lord. Our faith is put on the firing line. Peter, in effect, says this in his letter that our trials are tests, but they are tests like gold is tried in the fire. This gets back to that passage from Job. For the follower of Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as fate or luck. Hmm. God knows exactly what's going on, although he may appear to be asleep in the boat. Hmm. He's still in your boat, okay? (laughs) He's very aware. He loves you, and he has an objective in your trial that you can't see. And you can rest your head on a God like that. God's delays are not his denials. Mm. This is huge, Brian, because one of the instruments that the Lord uses to change us, to transform us, and even to test us is delay. Very often, most often, He does not live in our time zone. Yes. Very often, he is too late. Uh, Think of Lazarus. Four days late, he shows up. (laughs) But he does not operate on our timetable. And so often, our prayers do not get answered immediately. Often, it takes a long time, right? But his delay is not a denial. He does a lot during the delay. And we have many examples of this. Moses, Abraham, Joseph. The delays in their lives were God's mechanisms for growth and preparation. Preparation's huge, you know. God, very often, he's working on different levels, as I said before. He's preparing you for something, but he's also preparing whoever else is involved in your trial for something. And you may be ready, but they may not be. All right. I'll just give you one example. I talk to a lot of people and they're single. They're struggling with the desire to find a mate, to find a husband or a wife. And for some of them, they feel like throwing in the towel, right? Well, here's the thing. The Lord is operating on two levels here. All right. One, assuming you are called to be married, one of them is he's working on you to get you ready. All right. And that's not an overnight thing, (laughs) okay? But the other thing is, maybe you're ready, but the person who he's going to bring into your life is not. 
Mm. His delay is not a denial. He is preparing. He is using the delay as a mechanism for growth. There's common temptations that we are faced with when we are going through a storm or a trial or adversity. So what are those? There's five of them, which I'll go into briefly. But the word in the Greek for trial has to do with pressure, being put under pressure. And that word is also translated temptation. So in the Bible, trial and temptation, they're translated from the same Greek word. And what's fascinating to me is that in a trial, there is always going to be a temptation. Now, the trial is the adversity. The temptation is the enemy of God and the enemy of humans trying to leverage it for his own purposes. Here are the five temptations. Number one, during your trial, during your hardship, Satan will tempt you to doubt the goodness of God. That's a big one. Why am I going through this? Why did God allow this? Why did God cause this? Right? Uh, it's getting too real here, man. You're getting too real. <laughs> This is not what I signed up for. It's not what I thought it would be. How can he be good if he's allowing this horrific thing to happen to me, right? So that's number one. He's going to tempt you to doubt the goodness of God. And the second temptation is to retaliate against others involved in your trial in resentment, anger, or bitterness. And typically, whatever trial you're going through, it has a relational component. And if it's just a head-on relational crisis, there will be the temptation to retaliate, resentment, anger, bitterness against people who are mistreating you or not doing their due diligence or not acting the way they're supposed to. That's the second temptation, and that's from the enemy. The third temptation is to give in to discouragement and despair. It's basically to throw in the towel and give up, all right? The worst case of that, Brian, is suicide. That's despair. That's when you've lost all hope. Now, discouragement is, is normal, but we have to fight against discouragement because if not, it will lead to despair. And in the book, I give a recipe for how to overcome discouragement. The fourth temptation is to hand Jesus Christ divorce papers. In other words, I'm sure you've seen this. Somebody goes through a real rough time. They blame God, and then they say, I don't want to have anything to do with God, right? And they become either literal atheists or practical atheists. They stop following the Lord. They stop following Jesus Christ because of their trial. And, and I'm reminded of what Jesus said to John the Baptist. You know, here's a man who served God to the fullest extent all his life. He denied himself, you know, never drank wine, did not wear decent clothing, did not have a nice house, didn't uh, eat normal foods. John the Baptist gave his whole life, and here he's put in prison, and he's just not understanding. You know, he's battling doubt. Hey, did I put my money on the right one? Is he the one? Or should I wait for another? Jesus, this is his cousin, right? Jesus did not visit John. He just sent word back, and it's really not an answer. It's almost a non-answer, you know, like, okay, the dead are being raised, the sick are being healed, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, okay, the signs of the Messiah, good. But then he said this word, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And that's a word for every Christian when they come to terms with the Lord, not meeting their expectation. Because we all will face that side of God where he will not meet our expectations. And that's the question that will come to us. Are you going to be offended at me or are you going to trust me? 
you know, we will know him by faith or we will not know him. And this is the lesson that, that all of us as Christians must learn, you know. He's a God who hides himself, it says in Isaiah. So number five, the fifth temptation, and, and this is maybe aside from suicide, this is the worst one. And that is the enemy will tempt us to escape the pain through drugs and or alcohol. And of course, that makes your trial even worse. It causes you to make mistakes even beyond the addiction that you've just formed or created, and you can't afford to make mistakes in your trial. So those are the five ways that the enemy uses to leverage the trial to basically destroy us and destroy that connection with the Savior who we need. If there's anything you need in a trial, you need to get closer to your Lord. He is the solution. He has the answers. He's going to get you through it on the other side where you can become version 2.0 of yourself. And here's the, here's the interesting paradox about a, a trial, and I'm talking about a first-class trial, that we are not prepared to get through it. It's only by going through it that we get prepared. You know, this is so good, Frank. This book isn't like a memoir or autobiography, but... Maybe it sort of is. Maybe you breathe some of those experiences into it. Is that the case? It's actually not a memoir. It's not an autobiography. So I do not make my own trials the focus. I keep the focus on the reader rather than on myself. And that's what the publisher wanted. And I agree with it. However, I'm more personal in this book than any other I've written. I talk vividly about my feelings, my thoughts, my personal struggles during all of my trials. And this has created a relatable emotional connection with early readers. I also talk freely about my struggle with anxiety and how I overcame it. But at the same time, because it's not a memoir and it's not an autobiography, I do not get into the weeds on my own trials in life for two reasons. One, I would lose readers because many couldn't relate. All right, let's say, for example, um, and this is hypothetical, okay, but let's just say that my father fell into a coma for a year. Well, most of the readers will not be able to relate to that trial because they've never had a loved one in a coma, you see. But the second reason is a number of my trials have involved other people. So to talk about them would be a breach of their privacy, especially when it comes to health crisis. But again, what's most important is I get into the feelings, the struggles, the thoughts that I've had through each of my trials. Therefore, what I write about trials and crisis and suffering relates to every kind of trial that a person will endure. So it's really a field guide to help any Christian who's going through a storm, how to navigate, how to survive it, and how to thrive in it. Are you also preparing a course that supplements this book? Can you tell us about that? It's called Surviving Your Storm. What it does, Brian, is it goes deeper into some of the themes that are in the book and expands them and then covers other territory. Uh, so, for example, I'll just give people a quick rundown of what's in it. The first lesson is Welcome to the Storm. And there's 30 lessons, one for each day of the month. Lesson one, don't panic. Lesson two, how to handle fear and anxiety. Lesson three, how to handle anger. Lesson four, avoid isolation. Lesson five, how to gain confidence. There's a lesson on refusing to argue. There's a lesson on create a new spiritual routine. Upgrade to version 2.0 of yourself. Live in the present. How to deal with limbo. Use your mind to defeat negative thoughts. 
how to withstand, how to have peace in the storm. Basically, every single lesson, and I have a partner who does it with me, so we both talk. It's an audio course, so people can listen while they're driving or walking. You don't have to sit down in front of a video and watch something. So it's really accessible. But every single lesson in the course has a practical growth tool. So not only are people getting insight into these different aspects of a trial, but they're given something very practical that they can put into their life and implement so that they're actually experiencing what we're talking about. Now here are some bonus ones. There's three bonus lessons. You can't afford to ignore this. This is <laughs> something very important that I talk about related to the trial. Thoughts on grief and lament. Now, the book is really not designed for a person who is uh, going through the loss of a loved one, you know, meaning a tragedy of death, maybe somebody died in a crisis. It's not really designed to go through grief. Uh, although I did have a good friend of mine who lost a teen son say the book helped him, even though we're not talking about grief. But in this particular bonus, I do talk about grief and lament. But the book is mainly written to people who are going through a first-class trial right now, and they don't know what the outcome is going to be. Bonus three is numbing with alcohol, drugs, and porn. And so I talk about those three temptations while a person's going through a first-class trial. And then I have a coda, Professional Resources for Financial, Relational, and Health Crisis. So that's what the course is. It's called Surviving Your Storm. And Brian, all of this can be found on the website, Hang On Let Go, all one word, hangonletgo.com. Yeah, I'm sure it's an enhancement, and it does create that sort of that pathway dynamic to guide somebody through. And well, thank you, Frank. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. And this is wonderful content. Hey guys, this is a postscript just before you head out and we part ways. I've created a bundle of free resources. This would include my other podcasts, the YouTube channel, several free eBooks, free seminars, and other free resources. And you can find all of that at frankviola.com. And if you go to frankvella.com, you will see in the top menu a link that says free stuff. You just click on that and you will be taken to the free resources page. Also, a number of you have asked if you could donate to help defray the costs of the podcasts and also to express appreciation for the value that you've been receiving. You're under no obligation to donate. I don't ask for donations, but should you have it on your heart to do so, you can go to frankviola.us. That's frankviola.us. And that will take you to a donate page. There's three different options you can use to donate all of them simple thank you very much and god bless